Welcome to Connecting the Docs, a podcast from the State Archives of North Carolina, where archivists connect archival materials to fascinating and true stories from the past. The theme of season two is Unprocessed, where each week we deliver rare and often overlooked topics related to North Carolina's storied history. Now here's your host, John Haran. Welcome to Connecting the Docs. I'm your host, John Haran, and I'm here with reference archivist Lauren Murphy and a records analyst, Josh Hager. And I think you might have a story about a governor most foul for me. Yes, indeed. A governor most foul who, by this time, the the story was most dead. So let us take you to the 20th century, the late 1960s, the swing in time. There's a moon landing. You don't think it's the time of something spooky, but in fact it is. After finding the old bed of Governor Fowl in the executive mansion, Fowl was the first governor to ever live in the executive mansion, Governor Bob Scott, Robert Scott, found that bed rather uncomfortable. He had the bed moved and a new bed brought in. That's when things got spooky for Governor and Mrs. Scott. He wrote, quote, One evening, a few days later, Mrs. Scott and I were both in the bedroom reading, and we heard this rather strange knocking that appeared to be coming from within the wall near where the headboard of the Governor Fowl bed had stood. We began to notice that this knocking, which was not very loud, occurred every night. For lack of a better explanation, we have named the knock the Governor Fowl Ghost. We assume that it is the ghost of Governor Fowl requesting that the bed in which he died be replaced in the room. This was an article published by Governor Scott in a folklore journal for a national audience where he is saying that there is a ghost in the executive mansion of North Carolina. And the responses to that were quite interesting. Well, let's start with why why he settled on it being Governor Fowl. Yeah, he seems to really point it all back to moving that bed. The idea that that bed had been there for a long time and he moves it from its original location and then suddenly the knocking starts. Kind of his whole basis for putting it on Governor Fowl. Other than that, who knows? Yeah, I mean, he he says in the article he found the bed uncomfortable, like I said. And so he makes a point of saying in the article that he used his own money to purchase a new bed that they would that he intended to take with him when he left office because he just couldn't sleep in the foul bed anymore because it was foul in terms of uncomfortable. The executive mansion opened in the 1880s as we know it today. The governor's mansion did. And if the foul bed was still in use, now obviously there are other beds in the mansion, but one must imagine that was the considered the governor's bed up until Scott changed this protocol. But as far as the bed, I mean, to the best of our knowledge, the bed is still in the governor's mansion today. And in fact, one person actually wrote to Scott after the publication of the letter and said that they were a relative of Governor Fowl, and they asked to buy the bed back. Uh, they said, if you're not using it, can we just buy this bed? Um, you know, my, my husband and I would like to buy it for our own use. 
and the governor simply replied that the, the bed is the property of the state and might be used by later governors. There actually is a picture, Josh, in that photo oh, wow. you're looking at. Just so you know, there, there is a picture of the bed. Um, it just looks like a four-poster bed. So he put this this piece in an article. He, he wrote it out. He put it out there. And you mentioned he got a reply saying, we're relatives. We want to buy this bed off the state. What other replies did he get? We can go through a couple. I'll take the first one, uh, and then Lauren can maybe do a couple. I'm a, I'm a fan of there is someone who was a nine-year-old boy named Brad who was captivated by this story, and he asked, is he green or white? I would like to know. And he also wanted to know if Governor Scott is scared to sleep in his bed. Finishes by thanking Scott for being his governor. So that's very nice of him. It's such a heartwarming story. And the good thing is we actually have a lot of letters from kids to governors in our collections, especially 20th century governors. There's an entire collection of letters sent to Governor Sanford. He requested letters from school children, and he filed them differently. So if you're interested in letters from kids to the governor, there's a lot of them. But this is my favorite letter from a kid that's in response to this story. So little Brad was a ghost hunter at nine years old and, and wanted to know, was he green or white? Which the answer was neither. He was a sound. <laughs> but, you know, it's a really great letter. Really, really heartwarming. But Lauren has some letters from people who were who gave the governor some interesting advice. That's probably one of my favorite things about this story is just, you know, Governor Scott publishes this in the North Carolina Folklore Journal, which is a very local, I mean, it's statewide, but relatively local journal. And it gets picked up, the story gets picked up by the Associated Press and becomes this kind of Nash sweeps the nation. So the majority of the correspondence he gets about this is actually from people who are not even his constituents. So he gets letters from people in Kansas and a, a soldier stationed in Morocco, Missouri, Virginia. One of my favorites warns the governor that it might be an omen because the same thing happened right before her daughter died and before her mother died, um, that she heard a strange knocking. Probably my favorite just kind of piece of advice he gets on taking care of the ghosts is the soldier in Morocco who suggests that he get some pest control because it's not a ghost. It's the death watch beetle that's making sounds as it calls for a mate, which is an actual thing. I've looked this up and the death watch beetle is a beetle that was named so because people normally heard it when they were staying up at night with someone who was dying because it's not something you would normally hear during the day. So that's how it got its name. And he finishes the letter saying by, you know, if the pest guy can't take care of it, then you should, you should call it ghost hunter. Cause you do have a ghost. Uh, <laughs> and I then like multiple the, people suggest I like the, the, the real shift from practical. Yes. It's probably an infestation. You got a real problem. <laughs> uh -huh. Get the Orkin guy on the phone, bring him in, take care of it to yep. well that doesn't work then you know what you got ghosts and i don't know how to help you you're in trouble i mean that, it's just like no range it's on or yep. off it's a light switch i love that yep there's also there's definitely a couple of other practical suggestions but then there are also definitely people who could just go straight to okay you have a ghost here's what you do and most of those have some form of saying in the name of god what do you want when you hear the ghost knocking 
and that as long as it gets the like opportunity to answer the question i guess then it'll leave you alone but he actually replies to one of the people you know the the governor's office normally sends kind of a standard reply when someone sends a letter um and i mean he'll even you know sign them but someone else types them up well this one is he replies to this woman and says i will use your watchwords of what do you want when i next hear the ghost it's the most personal reply that i found amongst the correspondence which is really interesting for a woman just in missouri 24 year old woman fascinating one wonders if he ever actually got to use the watchwords yeah i mean did the ghost go away after he talked to it or definitely not and i say that because (laughs) in the early 2000s governor mike easley had a trick-or-treat at the governor's mansion for for the kids in raleigh and the press release from that event which is also in the governor's papers uh warns the kids to watch out because the ghost of governor Fowl roams the garden and roams the grounds so they may encounter the ghost so not only has the ghost not left but if the press release is to be believed he has gone from a sound to an actual form that is roaming uh, that can be seen and not just heard. It does bring up a nice point, though. How, how has are there other records of how this story changed over time? There might be is <laughs> um, <laughs> kind of my answer to that, because the main things that found where the Scott or the kind of the response to the original story and then the press release was a really easy find because it's in our digital collections but you know it would take it would take a little bit more digging into the governors between mm-hmm. Scott and Easley to see you know if this comes up again then you know that could be a really cool project for you know say a National History Day student or someone you know who's a student at NC State UNC Duke and in history trying to look at like how governors have interacted with the supernatural mm-hmm. over time because scott's is a very direct we don't believe in ghosts but we've named this knock that we hear every night the ghost of governor Fowl. and it's a very it in that sense it very much appeals to both people who believe it's a ghost you know who write in with their immediate advice on ghost hunting to those who are more practical and are gonna say, okay, let's figure out what this knock is. <laughs> I'll give you some advice uh, and really kind of endears to both sides. Whereas Easley's is a lot more of this kind of, this spooky Halloween, we all, none of us believe in this stuff, but we all love to pretend it's real for a night kind of thing. Tongue in um, cheek. Yeah. So it, it is, it would be, I think it'd be really fascinating for someone to use the state archives records to take a look at how North Carolina governors have, have changed their interaction with the supernatural. One other note on why it might be difficult to research the, the evolution of this story over time. Governors' offices retain their papers differently. Each governor retains their records in different ways. And as far as most governors keep their records by subject matter so they can have ready reference. So for some subjects, it's really easy over time. You can see the same subject like, you know, state tax, you know, tax rates, and you can look at it in every governor across the 20th century. 
for for something like this where it's there's it's very unlikely you're going to have a ghost subject file there are some governors who let their press secretaries handle this sort of strange material there are some governors who maintain literal x files where they put correspondence and other stories that they consider to be spooky eerie or otherwise offbeat and sometimes they're put into a general or miscellaneous folder so it would involve quite a bit of digging just because of the nature of how you know the people working for the governor had no clue how to classify a lot of this stuff it's not, you know, you're not going to have a folder of correspondence with the dead. No, I wouldn't think you would, at least not if you want to get reelected at any point in time. <laughs> but, um, yeah, I uh, want to thank you both. You both have pr- provided some real interesting stories and some real interesting jumping off points for researchers out there. And you've really connected the docs for us. And I'd like to thank you both for sitting down and sharing what you know. Yeah, Absolutely. Thank so you much so much for having this. us. <laughs> yeah, a lot of fun. Thank you. And uh, when you're telling telling your uh, scary stories around the campfire this year, think of the archives. This season of Connecting the Docs is created by staff members of the State Archives of North Carolina. Special thanks this week to our guests Lauren Murphy and Josh Hager, to our producer Randy McRae, and special thanks to Judy Allen Dodson, the voice you hear at the beginning and end of each episode. I'm your host. John Horan. Thanks for joining us this week on Connecting the Docs, Unprocessed. Make sure to visit our website, connectingthedocs.podbean.com, where you can subscribe to the show in iTunes, Spotify, Stitcher, or via RSS, so you'll never miss a show. While you're at it, if you found value in this show, we'd appreciate a rating on iTunes. Or if you'd simply tell a friend about the show, that would help us out too. If you like this show, you might want to check out our blog, History for All the People at ncarchives.wordpress.com. For more news and information, please visit our website, archives.ncdcr.gov.